It's good to be back with you. Uh, last week I was uh, at what I call my seminary church. It's the church I was serving when I entered seminary. And I was only there a, a couple of years uh, but God did just such a, a great work in me. Uh, they were so gracious to me during that time and uh, uh, loved Carrie and I, and we, have, we just love them. When we go back, it's like, going, it's like going back to your grandparents' house, right? I mean, they just hug us and they love us and they tell us how proud they are and they're shocked at how, how bald I am. And it's just, uh, it's just great fun to get to, just to go back and be with them and to hear what God's doing in that church. And it was so much fun to see the Lord at work there and he's still at work there. And this week I had talked with some pastor friends and I heard that, that God was at work in their church and how different that work that God is doing there is from the work that we're being called to do here. Same gospel, same truth, just a, a, a unique difference. You know, we are a, we are a family of disciples sent uh, to make disciples. That's how we think about ourselves. And our, our, our whole purpose is to lead more people to anchor their lives in hope in Jesus. And we do that by living hopeful and being helpful. And those are the words we use to describe what God has told, called us to do. But understand, living hopeful is not always being comfortable. As a matter of fact, living hopeful is finding comfort in Christ no matter what our circumstances are. See, we have a hope that goes beyond how we may feel in the moment. We have a confidence that comes because we know that everything that we're going to go through, that the Lord has a plan for it. And that's why we are hopeful. And being helpful, being helpful is not about feeling good or looking good because you did something for someone else. That's not what it's about. Being helpful is about meeting people at their place of need and being willing to do what Jesus did for us, which is at great sacrifice, give time and energy and love so that they can know the truth, that they are dearly loved by God and worthy of the blood of Christ who would save them if they would only believe. It is in living hopeful and in being helpful that we are able to accomplish God's purpose for us. We cannot do that apart from one another. We are better together. And together we live hopeful and we choose to be helpful. And God accomplishes something in each of us and, and through us collectively that changes us and, and brings about hope to the world. This vision of, of, of being a family of disciples that make disciples, we have to understand who we are. You know, we're, we're more than people that just share a service. How many of you guys are subscribers to Netflix? Show your hands. How many of you guys are in Netflix? Hey, so am I. Who cares? We have the same place where we go and watch stuff. That is no, no real strong connection, is it? You know what? Church is not to be about where you come to, to get a message or where you come to hear some songs. Church is about gathering with the family. We've been saved by grace and we've been adopted and we are now sons and daughters of the Most High King of Heaven. And that love He's given to us is a love that we share. We are a family of disciples. Disciples are not just people who, who like Jesus. Disciples are people who follow Jesus. I saw this years ago. I've always wanted to use it. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Here's Jesus talking to a young adult. No, I'm not talking about Facebook. I literally want you to follow me. <laughs> Jesus doesn't want us just to like him. Jesus wants us to follow him. 
He wants us to live in obedience to him, to become who he is. That's what a disciple is. It's a, disi a disciple is someone who is following a leader, a master, who is copying their way of life, their words and their attitudes and actions. And that's what Jesus is calling us to be, a family of disciples that do something with our faith. James says, faith without works is dead. And we are called to do something. We are called to be disciples that make disciples. You know, there are, there, there are people in the world uh, with resources that, that have the ability to, to do something I can't do, but some of you can, and it's, it's, it's really cool. They have the ability to have a car that they use, and then they have a car that they've bought that they show. They don't really drive it except to kind of show it off every now and then and let people kind of see how cool it is, but it's not really something they put to use. Friends, we got to make sure that our faith isn't something that we occasionally pull out and say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, let me, let me put on the Christian show for you. Let me, let me kind of, yeah, let me show you my church attendance. Let me show you kind of how I, I kind of know a little bit about liking Jesus. That's not what God's called us to. He's called us to put our faith to work. And as we live in obedience to him, we are going to be of use to him to expand his light into this dark world. And that happens as we make disciples. We make disciples as we lead more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. We lead people. That requires relationship. It's not us talking down to people. It's not us being disagreeable because of their economic or political positions. It is us choosing to love them and invite them on a journey that God has called us to be on. We are, we are able to, to simply say, come and let me show you this anchor, this thing that holds me no matter what I'm going through. He is Jesus Christ. And no matter what storm I am in, the anchor holds. And to be able to say to folks, listen, come, anchor your life in this person, Jesus Christ, and experience hope. Everyone in this room has some kind of hope. Here's the thing that really ask yourself, what's your hope in? Is your hope in you? Here's what you can know. Your hope then is going to get old, it's going to get sick, and it's going to die. Because you will. Is your hope in a created thing? Then your hope is only as strong as that thing can last. We are made for a living hope. A hope that does not fail, that does not fade. A hope that is eternal, a hope that is alive. We have been given in Christ a living hope. And what we are called to be as a family of disciples that makes disciples is to lead other people so that they can anchor their life in this hope that will not fail. As we do that, we're hoping and praying to fulfill a very simple goal. Our goal has to do with what's going on in our city. This morning, 84% of our population will not be in any sort of religious service. Now, some of those services are not biblical. Some of them are even pagan or idolatrous. But even still, of this entire community, 84% of our community will not be in a religious service this morning. Here's our goal, to reach 1% to get 1% of the 84% to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus and become a part of this family of faith as they get to experience what it means to be a family of disciples that make disciples, that lead more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. And in order to do that, we gotta take two steps. 
We hear these steps. We've got these steps written. That we say it at the end of every service. If you're wondering what it is, it's on the cover of your bulletin. I wonder if you can say it out with me. What are our two steps? We say it at the end of every service. We are to live and those are the steps that we have to take. And as we do that, we will become a certain kind of church. As we choose to live hopeful and be helpful and live out this vision of being a family of disciples sent to make disciples and lead more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus, we will become something very unique. I want us to see what that is according to God's word. If you've got your Bible and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to preach from only the first part of verse 10. Um, it's a strange little section there. Um, looking forward to explaining that to you. Uh, but we need to get a little bit of context. So we're going to read verses 9 and 10. Zoe Meredith is going to read for us. Come on up here, sweet girl. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Romans 12. She's going to read verses 9 and 10, but we're going to look at the first part at, first, at verse 10 this morning. You got it? Go for it. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. The word of God. Thanks be to God. I love that sweet little voice. I'd like to have children that talk like that at my house. <laughs> Pettuses are loud. It's what we do. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, uh, we had uh, uh, friends, two brothers. They were the Lacrone brothers. And uh, a group of us, we all hung out at their house. Uh, one of the reasons why is because we were welcome to, to, to do that. Um, we also uh, found that there was always something to do. It, it wasn't always good. I met many police officers during th those years. Um, but it was always something to do. Uh, but we were bound together uh, by a, a same kind of situation. The Lacrone's parents had divorced. A lot of our parents had separated. We were all dealing with very difficult family structures and situations. And we found ourselves rallying together at the Lacrone house. We found a, a need there. We found welcome there. We found things to do there. And, and if, if I'm honest, there was, a, there was something that, that stirred us there. You know, when we're living out what God has called us to be, people will be drawn here. People are drawn to hope. People are drawn to help, not only to receive help, but to give help. And, and our hope is, is something unlike anything else a person get, can get in the rest of the world. Our hope is supernatural. We know that God's design, God designed the world to, to be in harmony. We know that, that, that sin has destroyed our world, it's created brokenness. But the good news, the gospel is Christ has come to die for our sins. And if we, and many of us have repented, turned away from self-sufficiency and chose to trust in Christ to be our savior and believe in him, now we can now recover and pursue God's design. Many people don't know this hope. And, and it's our responsibility to not only live this hope, live in it and rejoice in it, but, but to share this hope. And we do that by by being helpful, by reaching people where they are and letting them know that God has not forgotten them. Friends, I'm gonna tell you something. There are so many people in your sphere of influence who genuinely believe that God doesn't care about them. Their circumstances are such that they can't see light or the hand of God or the sense of divine 
providence working out a good for their problem. Most many, 84% plus don't because they don't gather to worship him because they don't know. And, and we have a, a, a opportunity to be a people that can show hope and give help. And when we do that, there's gonna be a description of us. When we live that out, we will be changed. And, and the change that will happen will be something that can be described. If you look at verse 10 with me, I want you to see something here. It says, love one another with, with brotherly affection. Now, that translation would make you think that there's a verb in that, and there's not. Uh, there's no verb in, in this. Um, there's a noun, a prepositional phrase, and then an adjective. Our, our English really struggles to capture this. A literal translation would be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. It's not a command, it's a description. And what God is calling us to is to be described this way. Kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. If and when we do that, we will be a loving church family with strong sibling affections. And then something will happen. It will be sensed, it will be seen, it will even be measured. These are the three things I want you to see and I want you to think about how it is God is calling you and me and us to, to make this a reality. Write it down, the first one is this. A loving church family with strong sibling affections will be messy. And I know those of you with preschoolers are saying, we're in, but it's more than that. See, the church at Rome was messy. Let me explain it to you. See, when Christ was raised, he sent the Holy Spirit, and there were many that were saved at Pentecost. But then after the persecution broke out, there was a dispersion of the church, and a group of Jews went to Rome, where many of them were from, and they established a church. And, and there they lived hopeful and they chose to be helpful. And so Gentiles came to saving faith. At some point, the, the uh, Jewish Christians were kicked out of the nation because of political pressure. And so for almost five years, the church at Rome was led by Gentiles. After that season of persecution was over, the, the, the Jewish Christians came back to be with the Gentile Christians who the Holy Spirit had raised up to take on leadership. And so you now have Jewish leaders and Gentile leaders all led by the Spirit of God, but with radically different backgrounds, radically different education levels, radically different social economic uh, preferences and, and uh, capacities. And that church was messy. All healthy churches are. See, in a healthy church, you're going to have three different kinds of people. You're going to have one group of people who are living in sin and they don't care. There are going to be people who, like I once was, who were unfamiliar with church. You know, I want you to think about this. There's people that have driven by our facility this morning who no more thought about coming here than I would think about going to a shopping mall. Wouldn't consider that an option unless required and asked thoroughly. I have no interest in that. And that's how a lot of people see church. There's no interest, there's nothing there I would be interested in. And, and, and so there are those who sometimes come, as I did as an adolescent, who would go to church. I was comfortable in my sin, I didn't care. I was sinning and I didn't care. And in every church, 
that is fulfilling God's purpose, there will be people in it that are sinning and don't care that they're sinning. Then there will be a group who are fighting sin. They are disciples of Jesus who want to live in obedience to him. And every day they get alone with him. Every day they seek to honor him. Every day they are, they are living for him and they are delighting in him. And they are seeking to overcome and, and to, to be what Christ died for them to be. So you've got those who are sinning and don't care they're sinning. There are those who are fighting against the sin that they've been saved from. And then you've got another group who won't admit that they're sinning, but they judge everyone else who does. And these are, these are hypocrites. These are, these are Pharisees. These are mean-spirited uh, family members of the kingdom of God. Yes, they're saved, but no one's happy about it, right? And that's just part of it. Th- listen, this is what's in a health of church. It's people that sin that don't care they sin. It's people that are fighting against sin because they've been saved from it. And people who won't admit that they're sinners, but they judge other people that do. That's messy, isn't it? That's what the church that loves one another looks like. People come in. People are at different places. When I read the, the, the epistle of John, 1 John, I see this. Think about the people that this was written to. Think about what had to be existing for him to write these words. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, all, uh, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So there's a group of people who say, I'm sinning and I don't care I'm sinning. And he says, you're not in the light. Then there's those who are in the light who are struggling to fight against the darkness. And then there are those who say, oh, I don't sin. And they're making Christ out to be a liar. That's what happens in every church. It's messy. You're in one of those categories today. You're sitting and you don't care. I'm so glad you're here. I remember what it was to sit in your seat. Some of you are here today and you hate sin and you're fighting against the sin that always is, is, is buffeting against you and I'm sitting in your seat right now. I'm with you. And then there are those who say they don't sin and they put on a mask and they judge other people and sometimes I sit in your seat if I'm being honest. We're all a mess, but God loves us all. You know, I used to think that the perfect church was a church where everyone was righteous and living the way they were supposed to. You know what I believe? I believe that the perfect church is a messy church. It's where sinners show up of all kinds and find the grace of God. And as we are living out this life in Christ, it's going to be messy. It's it's going to be messy and it's also going to be sticky. Don't you love these words today? We're going to be messy, write it down. We're going to be sticky. The church at Rome was sticky. And the reason they were sticky is because they loved people right where they were. And they were willing to make sacrifices. You know, Rome, the city, there was was constant disease. There were constant socioeconomic problems. And what was interesting is when there was times of disease, the, 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 the people that didn't know Jesus, they would leave the city. And they would be met with the Christians coming into the city to care for the sick. And they would say, who are those weirdos going into the sickness? Oh, those are the Christians. 
There would be people that would be on the outside, socioeconomically, in trouble, in jail, hurting. Christians would love them and care for them. And they would say, why do they do that? And and the people would say, oh, it's because they say their God Jesus did that for them, that they were once outsiders, and he came to them and loved them and made them insiders inside of his family. And now they do that with hurting broken people too. The, The church at Rome was sticky. Those people would be loved and they would... They would stick into the life of the community. I want you to think about the fact that you and I, we're supposed to be like bubble gum. All right? At the end of the service today, as you're leaving, we want everyone to get a piece of gum. Ask your mom if it's okay. If she says it's not, check with your dad. But <laughs> there's gum is available. This, this, and here's why. I, I want you to be mindful of what we're supposed to be like. So see, when you put this in your mouth and you start chewing it, it is so sweet. And Christians are supposed to be sweet. There's supposed to be something that's delightful to be around. And you know what? When I'm chewing on this stuff, it's not falling apart. <clears throat> Almost choked. <laughs> it's tough. Christians are supposed to be sweet to the taste when you're in their midst. And they're supposed to be tough. They're supposed to be able to take criticism without, without falling apart. They're supposed to be able to handle hardship because God is with them. And you know what happens when you chew like this? When I was a kid, I would chew gum like this, and my brother would beat me up. (laughs) But you know what happened? If I were to take this right now, and I'm really salivating right now, but I took it out. You know, if I came and put this on one of you, it would stick. (laughs) If you want to live, go get a whole bucket, chew it about to this level, and put all the pieces together and make something gooey out of it. Throw it, not at people, but at a wall or something. Watch what happens. I've thrown it at people. It's inappropriate. But I'm telling you, it, it will stick. This is what God has called us to be. He's called us to be sweet and tough and sticky. So that when we talk about who Jesus is and they see Jesus in us and they, they see our hope and they receive our help, they get connected into our family. Let me show you an example of how it works. This is, in, uh, um, this is in John chapter 1. Uh, it's a narrative that, ex- that explains how we're to live. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, now I want you to notice this. Philip is going outside of the church family of, amongst the believers and going to a non-believer and is sharing the gospel. He's telling, them, he's telling uh, uh, Nathaniel about Jesus. He said, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He came and he said, we found Messiah. We found the son of God who's here to take away the sins of the world. He went outside of the fellowship and shared Jesus. Now look at the response. Nathan said to him, can anything good come, from, from, uh, come out of Nazareth? There are people, when you share Jesus and invite them to come to church, they're going to say, can anything good come out of a church? Because there's such a negative mindset in, amongst many about the church. Because for many, it's a judgmental, mean-spirited, indifferent people, a, a, a thing that really has no real purpose. That's what Philip thought of, of Nazareth. But look what he did. Look what he said. Come and see. We are to go and share with those in our lives who Jesus is. 
We're to answer their questions and we're to invite them to gather and to hear the teaching of Jesus, to worship Jesus with the gathered people. Look what happened when they did. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Please understand this. God knows every person in your, in your friendship and family circle, and he loves them. And if they come to saving faith, what they'll realize is that God knew them before the foundation of the world and had a plan for their life to redeem them and to work in them miracles. We are responsible to be sticky, to be sweet and tough and to go and share Jesus, to invite people to come and see, to come and be a part of the worship gathering. And then we pray for the work of Christ, Christ who knows them and loves them. And look what his response was in Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, teacher, he became a disciple of Jesus. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That's how it works, friends. We, we choose to understand and embrace the fact we're messy. We've got sinners who don't care, uh, sinners fighting sin, and, and sinners who won't admit it and judge everybody else. We got that. We're messy. We're called to be sticky, to be sweet because of the presence of Jesus, to be tough, and to go and share our hope with those we know and invite them to come and see what God is doing and trust that God in his time will bring salvation and they will become disciples. We are to be we are to be messy, we're gonna be messy, we're gonna be sticky. Last thing is we will be transformed, write it down. As we do this together, there will be a change in who we are. And that's one of our core values here is life transformation. It's value number four. Core value number four, life transformation. But it's not, it's not behavioral modification. Please hear me. Those of you who are not believers, those of you who don't follow Jesus, listen to me very carefully here. We do not believe in behavioral modification. What that is, is when a person tries to change your behavior to change your heart. That's not what we believe in. It's not what the Bible teaches. We believe in gospel transformation. God enters our life through faith as we repent. Jesus is alive in us through the Holy Spirit. And his presence in us changes us. I love the description here in, in 2 Corinthians. Um, Put that up for me, guys. Is that the text? Yeah, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Yes. And we all are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. The image is Jesus Christ. And we are growing and being transformed one, from one degree to another. We just keep growing. How does that work? Through the gospel. So when you come to saving faith, you understand God's design, sin, and brokenness. You repent and believe, and you are made righteous. You are saved. You get a new life in Christ. You're born again to recover and pursue God's design. But as you pursue and recover God's design, you will become aware of sin that's still at work in your flesh and the brokenness it's causing. And so you repent and believe not to be justified, but to be sanctified. Not to be made righteous, but to be made and conformed into the image of Jesus. And it happens from the inside out. A friend of mine this week got food poisoning. How many of you have ever gotten food poisoning? I've never had it, and now that I've seen it, I don't ever want it. It is bad. Bad, bad, bad. Let me tell you what happens. Something gets down inside of you, 
and it changes the outside of you. Stuff comes out of you in very awkward ways. It's disgusting and it's just bad. Pray against it. Pray for my brother. Jesus, when he saves us, he gets down in us. His light shines in us. And then what is in us changes what is outside of us. Because Jesus is inside of us because we've been infected with the gospel, the gospel power begins to be lived out in our lives. And you can see it in our faces. And you can see it in the way we live. And you can hear it in the way we talk. And and you can understand it in the attitude we possess. That we have been loved by God, saved by grace, redeemed for eternity, given a living hope. And now we're here to be the hands of Christ, to to, to, to be helpful. to, To live hopeful and to be helpful. Friends, is that us? Is that you? See, we got to do this together. It only works when we do it together. You can't do this in isolation. You weren't made to. We are better together. And we are hopeful and helpful better together because when we come in contact with each other and all the messiness and all the stickiness and all the transformation, we are changed by one another together by the grace of God and we become what Jesus died for us to be. So let me ask you, Are you a disciple of Jesus? If you are a disciple of Jesus, are you fighting sin or are you just ignoring it? If you ignore it, you're going to become prideful and judgmental. You got to deal with your sin. Are you sticky? Are you sweet and tough and are others being drawn to Jesus and connected because of you? And are you being transformed? This is the call of Christ. This is what it means to be a family disciple sent to make disciples. This is what it is to live hopeful and be helpful to lead more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. And we need God's help to do it. We can't do it on our own. And so I want you to invite you this morning to ask God to help you. Some of you to ask him to save you. Ask him to do a miracle. Ask him to act in ways that that require supernatural intervention for things to be made right. Trust him for it. Ask him for it. Let's stand together as we pray.